0: Chapter 13 of Mr Midshipman Easy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Mr Midshipman Easy by Captain Frank Marriott read by Adrian Pretzelus. Chapter 13 in which our hero begins to act and think for himself. Whatever may have been Jack's thoughts, at all events they did not spoil his rest. He possessed in himself all the materials of a true philosopher, but there was a great deal of weeding still required. Jolliffe's arguments, sensible as they were, had very little effect upon him, for, strange to say, it is much more easy to shake a man's opinions when he is wrong than when he is right proving that we are all of a very perverse nature." Well, thought Jack, if I am to go to the masthead I am, that's all, but it does not prove that my arguments are not good, only that they will not be listened to. And then Jack shut his eyes, and in a few minutes was fast asleep. The master had reported to the first lieutenant and the first lieutenant to the captain when he came on board the next morning, the conduct of Mr. Easy, who was sent for in the cabin, to hear if he had anything to offer in extenuation of his offence. Jack made an oration which lasted more than half an hour, in which all the arguments he had brought forward to Jolliffe in the preceding chapter were entered fully into. Mr. Jolliffe was then examined and also Mr. Small Soul was interrogated, after which the captain and the first lieutenant were left alone. "'Sawbridge,' said Captain Wilson, "'how true it is that any deviation from what is right invariably leads us into a scrape! I have done wrong. Wishing to get this boy out of his father's hands, and fearful that he would not join the ship, and imagining him to be by no means the shrewd fellow that he is in reality, I represented the service in a much more favourable light than I should have done. All that he said I told him, I did tell him, and it is I who really led the boy into error. Mr. Small Soul has behaved tyrannically and unjustly. He punished the lad for no crime— so that between the master and me I am now on the horns of a dilemma. If I punish the boy, I feel that I am punishing him more for my own fault and the fault of others than his own. If I do not punish him, I allow a flagrant and open violation of discipline to pass uncensured, which would be injurious to the service." "'He must be punished, sir,' replied Sawbridge. "'Send for him,' said the captain. Jack made his appearance with a very polite bow. "'Mr. Easy, as you suppose that the Articles of War contained all the rules and regulations of the service, I take it for granted that you have erred through ignorance. But recollect that although you have erred through ignorance such a violation of discipline, if passed unnoticed, would have a very injurious effect with the men, whose obedience is enforced by the example shown to them by the officers. I feel so convinced of your zeal, which you showed the other day in the case of Eastup, that I am sure you will see the propriety of my proving to the men, by punishing you, that discipline must be enforced, and I shall therefore send for you on the quarter-deck and order you to go to the masthead in presence of the ship's company, as it was in presence of the ship's company that you refused." "'With the greatest pleasure, Captain Wilson,' replied Jack. "'And in future, Mr. Easy, although I shall ever set my face against it, recollect that if any officer punishes you, and you imagine that you are unfairly treated—' You will submit to the punishment, and then apply to me for redress.' "'Certainly, sir,' replied Jack, now that I am aware of your wishes. "'You will oblige me, Mr. Easy, by going on the quarter-deck, and wait there till I come up.' Jack made his best bow, and exit. "'Old Jolliffe told me that I should have to go,' said Jack to himself. And he was right so far. But hang me if I hadn't the best of the argument, and that's all I care about." Captain Wilson sent for the master, and reprimanded him for his oppression, as it was evident that there was no ground for punishment, and he forbade him ever to masthead another midshipman but to report his conduct to the First Lieutenant or himself. He then proceeded to the quarter-deck and, calling for Mr. Easy, gave him what appeared to be a very severe reprimand, which Jack looked upon very quietly, because it was all zeal on the captain's part to give it, and all zeal on his own to take it. Our hero was then ordered up to the masthead. Jack took off his hat, and took three or four steps in obedience to the order, and then returned and made his best bow, inquired of Captain Wilson whether he wished him to go to the fore or to the main-masthead. "'To the main, Mr. Easy,' replied the captain, biting his lips. Jack ascended three spokes of the Jacob's Ladder, when he again stopped and took off his hat. "'I beg your pardon, Captain Wilson. You have not informed me whether it was your wish I should go to the topmast or to the Togallant cross-trees.' "'To the Togallant cross-trees, Mr. Easy,' replied the captain. Jack ascended, taking it very easy. He stopped at the main-top for breath, at the main topmast head to look about him, and at last gained the spot agreed upon where he seated himself, and, taking out the articles of war, commenced again to ascertain whether he could not have strengthened his arguments. He had not, however, read through the seventh article before the hands were turned up up anchor and mr sawbridge called all hands down from aloft jack took the hint folded up his documents and came down as leisurely as he went up jack was a much better philosopher than his father the harpy was soon under way and made all sail steering for cape de cat where captain wilson hoped to pick up a spanish vessel or two on his way to toulon to receive orders of the Admiral. A succession of light breezes and calms rendered the passage very tedious. But the boats were constantly out, chasing the vessels along shore, and Jack usually asked to be employed on this service. Indeed, although so short a time afloat, he was, from his age and strength, one of the most effective midshipmen, and to be trusted, provided a whim did not come into his head, But hitherto Jack had always been under orders, and had always acquitted himself very well. When the harpy was at Tarragona, it so happened that there were several cases of dysentery on the ship, and Mr. Asper and Mr. Jolliffe were two of those who were suffering. This reduced the number of officers, and at the same time they had received information from the men of a fishing-boat who, to obtain their own release, had given the intelligence that a small convoy was coming down from Rosas as soon as the wind was fair under the protection of two gunboats. Captain Wilson kept well off shore till the wind changed, and then, allowing for the time that the vessels would take to run down the distance between Tarragona and Rosas, steered in the night to intercept them. But it again fell calm, and the boats were therefore hoisted out with direction to proceed along the shore as it was supposed that the vessels could not now be far distant. Mr. Sawbridge had the command of the expedition on the pinnace. The first cutter was in charge of the gunner, Mr. Linus, and as the other officers were sick, Mr. Sawbridge, who liked Jack more and more every day at his particular request, gave him the command of the second cutter. As soon as he heard of it, Mesty declared to our hero that he would go with him but without permission that was not possible. Jack obtained leave for Mesty to go in lieu of a Marine. There were many men sick of the dysentery, and Mr. Sawbridge was not sorry to take an idler out of the ship instead of a working man, especially as Mesty was known to be a good hand. It was ten o'clock at night when the boats quitted the ship, and as it was possible that they might not return till late the next day, one day's biscuit and rum were put on board each that the crews might not suffer from exhaustion the boats pulled in shore and then coasted for three hours without seeing anything the night was fine overhead but there was no moon it still continued calm and the men began to feel fatigued when just as they were within a mile of a low point they perceived the convoy over the land coming down with their sails squared before a light breeze Mr. Sawbridge immediately ordered the boats to lie upon their oars, awaiting their coming and arranging for the attack. The white lanteen sails of the gunboat in advance were now plainly distinguishable from the rest, which were all huddled together in her wake. Down she came, like a beautiful swan in the water, her sails just filled with the wind, and running about three knots an hour. Mr. Sawbridge kept her three masts in one that they might not be perceived, and winded the boats with their heads the same way, so that they might dash on board of her with a few strokes of the oar. So favourable was the course of the gunboat that she stood right between the launch on one bow and the two cutters on the other, and they were not perceived until they were actually alongside. The resistance was trifling, but some muskets and pistols had been fired and the alarm was given. Mr. Sawbridge took possession with the crew of the launch, and brought the vessel to the wind as he perceived that at the alarm all the convoy had done the same, directing the cutters to board the largest vessels, and secure as many as they could, while he would do the same with the launch as he brought them to. But the other gunboat, which had not yet been seen, and had been forgotten, now made her appearance and came down in a gallant manner to the support of her comrade. Mr. Solbridge threw half of his men into the launch, as she carried a heavy cannonade, and sent her to assist the cutters, which had made right for the gunboat. A smart firing of round and grape was opened upon the boats, which continued to advance upon her, but the officer commanding that gunboat, finding that he had no support from his consort, and concluding that she had been captured, hauled his wind again, and stood out in the offing. Our hero pulled after her, although he could not see the other boats. But the breeze had freshened, and all pursuit was useless. He therefore directed his course to the convoy, and, after a hard pull, contrived to get on board of a one-masted zebek of about fifty tons. Mesty, who had eyes as sharp as a needle, had observed that, when the alarm was given, several of the convoy had not rounded the point, and he therefore proposed, as this vessel was very light, that they should make short tacks with her to weather the point, as if they were escaping, and by that means be able particularly if it fell calm again to capture some others. Jack thought this advice good. The convoy who had rounded the point had all stood out to seaward with the gunboat, and now had a fresh breeze. To chase them was therefore useless, and the only chance was to do as Mesty had proposed. He therefore stood out into the breeze and, after half an hour, tacked inshore and fetched well to windward of the low point, but finding no vessels he stood out again. Thus he had made three or four tacks, and had gained perhaps six or seven miles when he perceived signals of recall made to leeward. "'enforced with guns. "'Mr. Sawbridge wants us to come back, Mesty.' "'Mr. Sawbridge mind his own business,' replied Mesty. "'We never take all dis trouble to plight a Windward for notin. "'But, Mesty, we must obey orders.' "'Yes, sir, when we have him thumb upon you. "'But now must do what tink most proper. "'By de powers, he catch me fore I go back.' But we shall lose the ship. Find her again, by and by, Master Easy. But they will think that we are lost. So much the better. Never look after us, Master Easy. I guess we have a fine cruise anyhow. Morrow we take large vessel, make sail, take more, then we go on to Toulon. But I don't know my way to Toulon. I know it lies up this way, and that's all. That's enough. What more you want, Master Easy? Pose you not find fleet. Fleet soon find you. By God, nobody never lost here. Now massa Easy, let them go belt again. Somebody else burn biscuit and boil kettle tomorrow for the gentleman. Murder Irish, only tink massa Easy, I boil kettle and prince in my own country easy was very much of a mind with mesty for argued jack if i go back now i only bring a small vessel half full of beams and i shall be ashamed to show my face now it is true that they may suppose that we have been sunk by the fire of the gunboat well what then they have a gunboat to show for their night's work and it will appear that there was harder fighting than there has been and Mr. Sawbridge may benefit by it.' Jack was a very knowing fellow to have learned so much about the service already. "'Well, and when they discover that we are not lost, how glad they will be to find us, especially if we bring some prizes, which I will do, or I'll not go back again. It's not often that one gets a command before being two months at sea, and hang me, now I've got it, if I won't keep it.' and Mr. Smallsoul, may masthead, whom he pleases. I'm sorry for poor Gossett, though. If Vigors supposes me dead, how he will murder the poor little fellow? However, it is all for the good of the service, and I'll revenge him when I come back. Hang me if I won't take a cruise." "'I talk to the men. They say they all tick with you like leech. Now dat job's settled. I think we'd better go bout again." A short time after this decision on the part of our hero, the day broke. Jack first looked to leeward, and perceived the gunboat and convoy standing in for the shore about ten miles distant, followed by the Harpy, under all sail. He could also perceive the captured gunboat lying to in shore to prevent their escape. "'Harpy hab em all by gosh," replied Mesty. "'I hab notion dat she soon settle em harsh.' They were so busy looking at the harpy and the convoy that for some time they quite forgot to look to Windward. At last Mesty turned his eyes that way. "'Damn em! I see right last night—look, master easy! One ship, one brig—tree lantern—dem for us. By de powers, but we make boat prize to-night!' The vessels found out by Mesty were not above three miles to Windward. They were under all sail, beating up for the protection of a battery not far distant. "'Now, Massa, suppose they see our boat, they tink something. Keep boat alongside, and shift her when we go about every time. Better not sail so fast now. Keep further off till they drop anchor for the night. And then, when it dark, we take em All Mesty's advice was good with the exception, perhaps, of advising our hero how to disobey orders and take a cruise. To prevent the vessel from approaching too near the others, and at the same time to let her have the appearance of doing her best, a sail was towed overboard under the bows, and after that they watched the motions of the harpy. The distance was too great to distinguish very clearly, but Mesty shinned up the mast of the vessel and reported progress. "'Boy, Jesus!' Dere one gun, two gun, go it harpy Won't she ab em, sure enough. Now gunboat fire that our gunboat no, that not ours. No Now our gunboat fire Dat pretty fire away Ah now the harpy come up all among em Bung 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 rattled the great boy gosh I have notion the Spaniard is pretty considerable trouble just about now anyhow. "'All hove to. So help me, gosh, not more firing. Harpy, take em all. Dear gunboat hove to. She strike em colours. "'By all powers, but suppose they link we no share prize money. "'They find it not little mistake. "'Now, my lads, it all over. "'And,' continued Misty, sliding down the mast, "'I think you better not show yourself too much.' Only two men stay on deck, and dem tools take off from jackets!" Mesty's report was correct. The Harpy had captured the other gunboat, and the whole convoy. The only drawback to their good fortune was the disappearance of Mr. Easy and the Cutter. It was supposed that a shot from the gunboat must have sunk her, and the whole crew were drowned. Captain Wilson and Mr. Sawbridge seriously regretted the loss of our hero as they thought he would have turned out a shining character as soon as he had sown his wild oats. So did Mr Asper, because our hero's purse went with him. So did Jolliffe, because he had taken an affection for him. So did little Gosset, because he anticipated no mercy from vigours. On the other hand there were some who were glad that he was gone, and as for the ship's company in general they lamented the loss of the poor Cutter's crew for twenty-four hours, which in a man-of-war is a very long while, and then they thought no more about them. We must leave the harpy to make the best of her way to Toulon, and now follow our hero. The Cutter's crew knew very well that Jack was acting contrary to orders, but anything was to them a change from the monotony of a man-of-war, and they, as well as Mesty, highly approved of a holiday. It was, however, necessary that they should soon proceed to business, for they had but their allowance of bread and grog for one day, and in the vessel they found nothing except a few heads of garlic, for the Spaniards coasting down shore had purchased their provisions as they required them. There were only three prisoners on board, and they had been put down in the hold among the beans, a bag of which had been roused on deck and a part put into the kettle to make soup. Jack did not much admire the fare of the first day. It was bean soup for breakfast, bean soup for dinner, and if you felt hungry during the intervals it was still bean soup, and nothing else. One of the men could speak a little lingua franca, and the prisoners were interrogated as to the vessels to Windward. The ships were stated to be valuable, and also one of the brigs. The ship carried guns, and that was all they knew about them. As the sun went down the vessels dropped their anchors off the battery. The breeze continued light, and the vessel which contained Jack and his fortunes was about four miles to leeward. As for the harpy, they had long lost sight of her, and it was now time to proceed to some arrangement. As soon as it was dark Jack turned his hands up and made a very long speech he pointed out to the men that his zeal had induced him not to return to the ship until he had brought something with him worth having, that they had nothing but beans to eat during the whole day, which was anything but agreeable, and that, therefore, it was absolutely necessary that they should better their condition, that there was a large ship not four miles off, and that he intended to take her, and as soon as he had taken her he intended to take some more that he trusted to their zeal to support him on this occasion, and that he expected to do a great deal during the cruise. He pointed out to them that they must consider themselves as on board of a man of war, and be guided by the articles of war which were written for them all, and that in case they forgot them he had a copy in his pocket which he would read to them tomorrow morning, as soon as they were comfortably settled on board the ship. He then appointed Mesty as first lieutenant the Marine as sergeant, the coxswain as bosun, two men as midshipmen to keep watch, two others as boatswain's mates, leaving two more for the ship's company, who were divided into the larboard and starboard watch. The Cutter's crew were perfectly content with Jack's speech and their brevet rank, and after that they commenced a more important topic, which was how they were to take the ship. After some discussion, Mesty's advice was approved of which was that they should anchor not far ahead of the ship, and wait until about two o'clock in the morning, when they would drop silently down upon her in the cutter, and take possession. About nine o'clock the vessel was anchored as they proposed, and Jack was a little astonished to find that the ship was much larger than he had any idea of, for although polacca rigged, she was nearly the same tonnage as the Harpy. The Spanish prisoners were first tied hand and foot, and laid upon the beans, that they might give no alarm. The sails were furled, and all was kept quiet. On board of the ship, on the contrary, there was noise and revelry, and about half-past ten a boat was seen to leave her and pull for the shore, after which the noise gradually ceased, the lights one by one disappeared, and then all was silent. "'What do you think, Mesty?' said Jack. "'Do you think we shall take her?' "'It is take her, ye mane. Sure enough we'll take her. Stop a bit. Wait till them fast asleep.' About twelve o'clock there came on a mizzling heavy rain, which was very favourable for our hero's operations. But as it promised soon to clear up, by Mesty's advice they did not delay any longer. They crept softly into the boat— and with two oars to steer her dropped under the bows of the vessel climbed up the fore-chains and found the deck empty take care not fire pistol said mesty to the men as they came up putting his finger to their lips to impress them with the necessity of silence for mesty had been an african warrior and knew the advantage of surprise all the men being on deck and the boat made fast Jack and Mesty led the way aft. Not a soul was to be seen. Indeed it was too dark to see anybody unless they were walking the deck. The companion-hatch was secured, and the gratings laid on the after-hatchways, and then they went aft to the binnacle again, where there was a light burning. Mesty ordered two of the men to go forward to secure the hatches, and then to remain there on guard, and then the rest of the men, and our hero, consulted at the wheel. "'By the power we up the ship,' said Mesty, "'but must manage plenty yet. I tink there's some damn lazy rascal sleep tween the guns. A lily while it no rain, and den we see better. Now keep all quiet.' "'There must be a great many men in the ship,' replied our hero. "'She is very large, and has twelve or fourteen guns. How shall we manage to secure them?' All right, right,' replied Mesty, "'manage all dat by and by. Don't care how soon daylight come. It has left off raining already,' observed Easy. "'There is a candle in the binnacle. Uh, suppose we light it and look round the decks?' "'Yes,' replied Mesty, "'one man sentry over cabin-hatch, and another over after-hatch. Now then we light candle, and all the rest go round the deck.' Mind you leave all your pistols on capstern!" Jack lighted the candle, and they proceeded round the decks. They had not walked far when, between two of the guns, they discovered a heap covered with grigos. "'Dare to watch!' whispered Mesty. "'All fast! Not ready for them yet!' Mesty blew out the candle, and they all retreated to the binnacle, where Mesty took out a coil of the ropes about the mizzenmast and, cutting into lengths, gave them to the other men to unlay. In a few minutes they had prepared a great many sizings to tie the men with. "'Now den, we light candle again, and make sure of dem lazy hounds,' said Mesty, "'very much bluige to dem all the same. They let us take the ship. Mind now, wake one at a time, and shut him mouth!' "'But suppose they get their mouths free, and cry out?' Replied Jack. Den, Mister Easy," replied Mesty, changing his countenance to an expression almost demoniacal. "Dared no help for it," and Mesty showed his knife, which he held in his right hand. "Oh no! Do not let us murder them. No, massa. Suppose can help it, but suppose they get upper hand, what become of us? Spaniards have knives." and use em too, boy de power. The observation of Mesty was correct, and the expression of his countenance when he showed his knife proved what a relentless enemy he could be if his blood was once roused. But Mesty had figured in the Ashanti Wars in former days, and after that the reader need not be surprised. They proceeded cautiously to where the Spaniards lay. The arrangements of Mesty were very good. There were two men to gag them, while the others were to tie their limbs. Mesty and Easy were to kneel by them with the candle with raised knives to awe them into silence, or to strike home if their own safety required it. The Grigos were removed off the first man, who opened his eyes at the sight of the candle, but the coxswain's hand was on his mouth. He was secured in silence. The other two men were awakened, and threw off their coverings but they were also secured, without there being occasion to resort to bloodshed. "'What shall we do now, Mesty?' "'Now, sir,' said Mesty, "'open the after-hatch, and watch. Suppose more men come up, we make em fast. Suppose no more come up, we wait till daylight, and see what take place.' Mesty then went forward to see if the men were watchful on the forecastle and, having again gone round the whole of the deck to see if there were any more men on it, he blew out the candle, and took his station with the other at the after-hatchway. It was just at break of day that the Spaniards who had to keep the morning watch having woken up, as people generally do at that hour at which they expect to be called, dressed themselves and came on deck, imagining, and very truly, that those of the middle watch had fallen asleep but little imagining that the deck was in possession of Englishmen. Mesty and the others retreated to allow them all to come up before they could perceive them, and fortunately this was accomplished. Four men came on the deck, looked around them, and tried to make out in the dark where their shipmates might be. The grating was slapped on again by Jack, and before they could well gain their eyesight they were seized and secured not, however, without a scuffle and some noise. By the time that these men were secured and laid between the guns it was daylight, and they now perceived what a fine vessel they had fairly taken possession of. But there was much to be done yet. There was of course a number of men in the ship, and moreover they were not a mile from the battery of ten guns. Mesty, who was foremost in everything, left four men abaft and went forward on the forecastle examined the cable which was coir rope and therefore easily divided and then directed the two men forward to coil a hawser upon the fore grating the weight of which would make all safe in that quarter and afterwards to join them on the quarter-deck now mr easy de great ting will be to get hold of de captain we must get him on deck open cabin hatch now and keep the after-hatch fast. Two men stay here, the others I'll come aft." "'Yes,' replied Jack, "'it will be a great point to secure the captain. But how are we to get him up?' "'You no know no how to get captain up. By de holy! I know very well!' And Mesty took up the coils of rope about the mizzen-mast, and threw them on deck, one after another, making all the noise possible. In a short time there was a violent pull of a bell at the cabin door, and a minute afterwards a man in his shirt came up the cabin hatchway, who was immediately secured. "'Dist de captain's servant,' said Mesty. "'He come to say, no make such damn noise. Stop a little—captain get in passion, and come up himself!' And Mesty renewed the noise with the ropes on the cabin. Mesty was right. In a few minutes the captain himself came up, boiling with indignation. At the sound of the cabin door opening the seamen and our hero concealed themselves behind the companion-hatch, which was very high, so as to give the captain time to get fairly on deck. The men already secured had been covered over with the Grigos. The captain was a most powerful man, and it was with difficulty that he was pinioned, and then not without his having given the alarm had there been any one to assist him. But as yet no one had turned out of his hammock. "'Now we are right,' said Mesty, "'and soon the ship, but I must make him frayed.' The captain was seated down on the deck against one of the guns, and Mesty, putting on the look of a demon, extended above him his long, nervous arm, with the sharp knife clutched as if ready every instant to strike it into his heart. The Spanish captain felt his situation anything but pleasant. He was then interrogated as to the number of men in the ships, officers, etc., to which questions he answered truly. He cast his eyes at the firm and relentless countenance of Mesty, who appeared to but wait the signal. "'I tink are pretty safe now,' said Mesty. "'Mister Easy. We now go down below, and beat our men into the hold." Our hero approved of this suggestion. Taking their pistols from the capstan, they ran down with their cutlasses, and leaving two men to guard the cabin door, they were soon among the crew, who were all naked in their hammocks. The resistance, although the numbers were more than double of the English, was of course trifling. In a few minutes the Spaniards were all thrown down into the hold of the vessel and the hatches placed over them. Every part of the ship was now in their possession except the cabin, and to that they all repaired. Our hero tried the door, and found it fast. They beat it open, and were received with loud screams from one side of the cabin, and the discharge of two pistols from the other, fortunately without injury. Those who had fired the pistols were an elderly man and a lad about the age of our hero. They were thrown down and secured. The cabin was searched, and nobody else found in it but three women—one old and shrivelled. The other two, although their countenances distorted with terror, were as lovely as Ori's. So thought Jack as he took off his hat, and made them a very low bow with his usual politeness, as they crouched, half-dressed, in a corner. He told them in English that they had nothing to fear and begged that they would attend to their toilettes. The ladies made no reply, because, in the first place, they did not know what Jack said, and in the next uh, they could not speak English. Mesty interrupted Jack in his attentions by pointing out that they must all go upon deck, so Jack again took off his hat and bowed, and then followed his men, who led away the two prisoners taken in the cabin. It was now five o'clock in the morning and there was movement on board of the other vessels, which laid not far from the ship. "'Now then,' said Jack, "'what shall we do with the prisoners? Could we not send the boat and bring our own vessel alongside, and put them all in, tired as they are? We should then get rid of them.' "'Master Easy! You be one very fine officer one of these days. That damn good idea anyhow! But suppose we send our own boat—' what they tink on board of the other vessel. Lower down lily boat from the stern, put in four men, and drop vessel alongside. dat it." This was done. The cutter was on the seaward side of the ship, and, as the ship was the outermost vessel, was concealed from the view of the Spaniards on board of the other vessels, and in the battery on shore. As soon as the Latin vessel was alongside, the men who had already been secured on deck, amounting to seven, were lowered into her, and laid upon the beans in the hold—all except the captain, the two prisoners, and the captain's servant. They then went down below, took off only one part of the hatches, and ordered the Spaniards up from the hold. As they came on deck they were made fast and treated in the same manner. Mesty and the men went down to examine if there were any left concealed, and finding that they were all out, returned on deck. The men who had been beaten down in the hold were twenty-two in number, making the whole complement of thirty. As soon as they had all been put into the zebeck, she was again hauled off and anchored outside, and Jack found himself in possession of a fine ship of fourteen guns, with three prisoners, male and three prisoners female. When the men returned in the boat from the vessel in which the prisoners had been confined, the hatches having been secured over them by way of further precaution, by the advice of Mesty they put on the jackets and caps of the Spanish seamen, of which there was a plentiful supply below. "'Now what's to be done, Mesty?' inquired Jack. "'Now, sir, we send some of the men aloft to get the sails all ready.' "'And while they do that, I cast loose this fellow,' pointing to the captain's servant, "'and make him get some breakfast, for he know where to find it.' "'Capital idea of yours, Mesty, for I am tired of bean-soup already, and I will go down and pay my respects to the ladies.' Mesty looked over the counter. Yes, and be quick too, Master Easy.' Damn the women! They toss their handkerchief in the air to the people in the battery! Quick, massa, Easy!" Mesty was right. The Spanish girls were waving their handkerchiefs for assistance. It was all that they could do—poor things. Jack hastened into the cabin, laid hold of the two young ladies, very politely pulled them out of the quarter-galley, and begged them that they would not give themselves so much trouble. The young ladies looked very much confused, and as they could no longer wave their handkerchiefs, they put them up to their eyes and began to weep, while the elderly lady went on her knees and held up her hands for mercy. Jack raised her up, and very politely handed her to one of the cabin-lockers. In the meantime Mesty, with his gleaming knife and expressive look, had done wonders with the captain's steward, for such the man was and a breakfast of chocolate, salt meat, hams and sausages, white biscuit and red wine, had been spread on the quarter-deck. The men had come from aloft, and Jack was summoned on deck. Jack offered his hand to the two young ladies, and beckoned the old one to follow. The old lady did not think it advisable to refuse his courtesy, so they accompanied him. As soon as the two females came on deck, and found the two cabin prisoners bound, They ran to them and embraced them with tears. Jack's heart melted, and as there was now no fear he asked Mesty for his knife, and cut loose the two Spaniards, pointing to the breakfast and requesting that they would join them. The Spaniards made a bow, and the ladies thanked Jack with a sweet smile, and the captain of the vessel, who still lay pinioned against the gun, looked as much as to say,—'Why, the devil, don't you ask me?' But the fact was they had had such trouble to secure him that Jack did not much like the idea of letting him loose again. Jack and the seamen commenced their breakfast, and as the ladies and prisoners did not appear inclined to eat, they ate their share, and their own too, during which the elderly man inquired of Jack if he could speak French. Jack with his mouth full of sausage replied that he could, and then commenced a conversation from which Jack learned as follows. The elderly gentleman was a passenger with the young man who was his son, and the ladies who were his wife and his two daughters, and they were proceeding to Tarragona. Whereupon Jack made a bow and thanked him, and then the gentleman who was named Don Cordova de Rimorosa wished to know what Jack intended to do with them, hoping, as a gentleman, he would put them on shore with their effects as they were non-combatants. Jack explained all this to Mesty and the men, and then finished his sausage. The men, who were a little elevated with the wine which they had been drinking, proposed that they should take the ladies a cruise, and Jack at first did not dislike the idea, but he said nothing. Mesty however opposed this, saying that ladies only made a row in a ship, and the coxswain sided with him saying that they should all be at daggers drawn whereupon jack pulled out the articles of war and informed the men that there was no provision in them for women and therefore the thing was impossible the next question was as to the propriety of allowing them to take their effects and it was agreed at last that they might take them jack desired the steward to feed his master the captain and then told the Spanish don the result of the consultation, further informing him that, as soon as it was dark, he intended to put them all on board the smaller vessel, when they would cast loose the men, and do as they please. The don and the ladies returned thanks, and went down to pack up their baggage. Mesty ordering two men to help them, but with a caution that they were not to encumber themselves with any of the money if there should happen to be any on board. The crew were busy during the day making preparations for sailing. The coxswain had examined the provender in the ship, and found that there was enough for at least three months—of water, wine, and provision, independent of luxuries for the cabin. All thoughts of taking any more of the vessels were abandoned, for their crew was but weak to manage the one which they had possession of. A fine breeze sprang up, and they dropped their fore-topsails, just as a boat was shoving off from the shore. But seeing the fore-topsails loosed, it put back again. This was fortunate, or all would have been discovered. The other vessels also loosed their sails, and the crews were heard weighing anchor. But the Nostra Signora del Carmen, which was Jack's prize, did not move. At last the sun went down. The baggage was packed in the cutter, the ladies and passengers went into the boat, thanking Jack for his kindness, who put his hand to his heart and bowed to the deck, and the captain was lowered down after them. Four men, well armed, pulled them alongside of the Zeebek, put them and their trunks on deck, and returned to the ship. The cutter was then hoisted up, and as the anchor was too heavy to weigh, they cut the cable and made sail. The other vessels followed their example, mesty and the seamen cast longing eyes upon them, but it was no use, so they sailed in company for about an hour and then Jack hauled his wind for a cruise. End of chapter thirteen.